A reading from 1 Corinthians 6 verses 13 to 1 Corinthians 7 verses 1. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are brought at a price, bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Amen. Thank you. That's quite a bombshell to end the reading, isn't it? Especially the men, I can just hear a collective sigh, like, oh my word, what is he going to say now? Well, yes, I did draw the short straw in the staff meeting, and uh, you're it. You, uh, you're preaching about sex. And, uh, but actually, it's, it's, it's a really awesome uh, topic to talk about, because the Bible has got some really wonderful... Um, things to say about this whole topic about sex. And, I mean, there's lots, and there's lots I could say. So some of you will be disappointed because I'm, I've, I'm missing out a lot. Um, but I've, I've compacted what I thought uh, is, 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 um, is what God wants us uh, to tell us this morning. I mean, if you're here for the first time this morning, Welcome. <laughs> It's, it's going to get real. Um, I mean, also, I just have to say, you know, if you are here with someone who, who may be not of the age that you would want uh, to be in the room, we do understand maybe you're watching online with, with your family and, and perhaps you would want to, want to speak about this first. That's fine. Maybe now's the time. But um, for everyone else... I uh, I want to I want to well let, let let's talk about what Paul was talking about. This is this is for those of you who have never had sex before. So if if you're in that category and you're here today, you think, well, geez, this is no no, you're in the right place. This is for those of you who who have and are, and this is for those of you even for which sex is a very distant memory. Um, it's for you. You're in the right place. This is for all of us. I believe God's got a message for all of us this morning. So let's look at uh, what Paul was um, saying. Essentially, so he's writing to the church in Corinth, which is in Greece. And the Greeks had a very kind of specific point of view, had a, had a philosophy, actually, about, about these things. And there were two views that Paul talks about on sex that he wanted to actually argue against. 
he wanted to give a new way, a new way. So what is the first view? First view is actually in the first line. The stomach is for food and the food for stomach, for the stomach, and God will destroy both. Now what does that mean? And, and actually, what does that got to do with sex? Well, their philosophy was that anything external, anything material, anything you know, like the body and all that was kind of irrelevant. <clears throat> What's really important is, is the soul and the spirit. And so sex to, to this group of people was just like, like an appetite. If I get hungry, I eat. If I want to have sex, I have sex. It was, it was like that. And God's going to destroy both. It's, just, it's all meaningless, and it's going to be destroyed, so just do it. Do it whatever you want. It's just an appetite to be fulfilled. Now, that's not too far from what we understand. I have a small confession to make. I am Brett, and I watch Friends. Now, Friends is a classic example of this kind of thinking. There are two characters who have, like, lines that everybody knows. If, if you've watched Friends, you'll know that Joey, for example, says what? How are you doing? Okay. And what does Ross say? We were on a break. Right? Now, both of these classic lines actually refer to sex and their sexual appetite. Joey just, you know, if you're a woman, how you do it? Ross is a little bit better, but uh, he was on a break with his then-girlfriend, sleeps with the, I think it was the photocopy woman, and then, you know, tries to get back and it was this big mess. I read an article where they counted the sexual partners of the six main people. 84. Just within the series, not in the past or in the future, just in the series, they had 84 sexual partners amongst them during the series. It's that flippant attitude towards sex. It's just, it's just an appetite to be fulfilled that Paul was speaking to in this church in Corinth. But there's a, there's a second group of people with the same sort of philosophy, but kind of the opposite manifestation of it. And that's the last line of the reading. Actually, a better translation, a more closer translation to the original is, it is good for a man not even to touch a woman. Men, what do you think? This is the view that actually sex is dirty. It's disgusting. You don't want to defile yourself with a woman, especially if, you, if you're holy, if you're good. And uh, you should actually abstain from it. Unless it's for procreation, otherwise just don't go there. Now, now this is also not far from many of our contexts. I think of my dear old gran. James, she's no longer with us, but I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying this. She was 
ultra-conservative. We, we, we didn't grow up in a church going home, but Gran went to church. I remember we, we used to take her every Sunday to church. She was in her Sunday best. She had to wear her hat. She just looked phenomenal. But very conservative. I'll never forget. We would, I was very young, but we, we'd watch a movie, and the guy and the girl would kiss. Oh. And out here, in the background. Sigh, something. You know, how dare these people kiss in front of us, you know? But it's from the, the background she had. You know, uh, this sounds crazy, but it's real, and I'm going to share it with you. She was freaked out when she had her first child because she thought it was going to come out of her belly button. I kid you not. That is the, the context from which she came. You don't talk about sex. It's taboo. It's dirty. And that's the other context that Paul talks to here. Those who think it's just an unnecessary, well, unnecessary evil, should I say. So what does Paul say about sex? Well, one thing he says is flee from sexual immorality. Now, sexual immorality is not a great um, kind of translation from the original. The original word means any sex outside of the context of marriage, be it premarital sex or, or extramarital sex or any, any kind of sex outside the context of marriage. This is what... Uh, Paul is talking about. And what does he say? Ah, you know, don't go there. No, no, no. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Flee. Now, why does he say flee? Why is he so strong in those words? Well, if we unpack the, 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 the passage, we, we, we find out why. He talks about, in the passage, he talks about, and he quotes, the two will become one flesh. He talks about uniting yourself with the prostitute because the two will become one flesh. Now, what does he mean, the two will become one flesh? Now, the obvious answer is, well, the physical coming together. And, I mean, that's a part of it, but it's actually a very small part of it. Commentators say that Paul was actually completely revolutionary in his attitude and, and, and his speaking about what sex and marriage and, in fact, singleness was in the eyes of God. He completely revolutionized all relationships in that sense. Now, what was he talking about? Well, um, I just wanted to... So, so, sorry, I just wanted to say, in, in the Bible, when, when they talk about flesh or the body... Uh, very often, they're actually not just talking about this, about this kind of receptacle. It's, it's an encompassing of the whole person. The whole personhood is what they're talking about. So when, when the two become one flesh, what he's saying is the two, this whole person and everything that comes with it 
comes together with this whole person and everything that comes to it, and they become one. So it's transforming. It's not just a simple act. It's not just a simple uh, a functional act. It's actually a transforming thing, and we'll talk about a little bit uh, about that just now. But there's, there's a couple of uh, theologians who comment on this passage who, who, who make this point a little, a little clearer. Um, the first is Anthony Thistleton. Um, so Anthony Thistleton says that Paul is saying that sex is self-commitment, which deeply involves the entire person, not merely body parts. Paul is saying that sex is meant by God to be the full giving of one's entire self to the one to whom you belong. Then F.F. Bruce, another commentator, says this when commenting on this passage. He says that Paul is saying that sex engages the entire person in a unique mode of self-disclosure and self-commitment which is completely radical to the hearers of this message. So Paul is speaking against this kind of attitude that sex is kind of defiling and dirty. Uh, he's saying it's not for gratification or self-expression. He's saying it's so much deeper than that. He actually is talking about giving your whole self. Self-donation is what Tim Keller calls it. Self, an act of self-donation to another. And um, which results actually in personal transformation. It, it, it changes you uh, in several ways, and we'll, we'll look at a couple later. But I just want to quote Tim Keller, who sums it up quite nicely. Um, and this is what he says. You must never have physical oneness without whole life oneness. Never get physically naked and vulnerable with someone without being vulnerable in your whole life. You mustn't become physically uh, vulnerable and hold on to your independence. You must become legally economically, socially, emotionally, in every way committed. You must give up your independence. If whole body giving is done in the context of whole life commitment, it will result in deep soul nurture, in deep personal transformation and completion. And he's actually commenting on this uh, very passage that we've been talking about this morning. And if you're married, um, you'll be able to, 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 to understand this to varying degrees, depending on, on the length and, and the depth of your marriage. But, I mean, I, I'm such a chop, really. And especially before I, I became married, I was the worst. And I'm not just saying that. I mean, it's embarrassing. But as... As uh, I've been married for some time now, not 50 years, um, but uh, I've been married for some time, and uh, 
I understand what, what Keller's saying here, what Paul's getting at, because it's not just me in any given situation. I'm thinking Karen's thoughts as well. That's my wife. So when I get into a situation, I will uh, probably more than 50% of the time make a really bad decision. But now I can hear Karen's voice. I stand in front of a mirror and I hear Karen's voice. <laughs> Do not wear that. <laughs> it doesn't really go very well. You know, it's a silly example, but actually it can help in, in pretty, you know, bigger situations where, where you really have the sense of reality where the two become one and I can actually almost, you know, make a decision as if I'm Karen. And, I'm, and I mean, it doesn't change me. I don't become Karen. You know, obviously I am me. But it's that kind of mystery of, of togetherness that you get. And, and, and this is, is both what sex is about and what sex represents. Now, Paul has, the commentators say he's got the highest view of sex and marriage, certainly at the time, you know, that anybody had ever seen, and even now, that everybody, anybody's ever, ever put forward. But the ironic thing is this. Even though he's got this high view of marriage and sex, he says, you can do without it. You don't need it. Which is quite incredible. Let's read a bit further on in the seventh chapter. We, we stopped at verse 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 27. It'll be up there. He says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? <laughs> do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she had not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. Any amens? No, no. Uh, <laughs> This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. What? And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. You see, Paul was very aware that we are living in the end times. And for those who may be not sure what we're talking about here, the end times, for, as Christians understand it, started upon Jesus' first coming. So 2,000 years ago is when the end times, so to speak, started. And it will come to completion upon his coming again. Paul is very aware that this is all temporary. 
And he's actually encouraging us. He's telling us that this is not ultimate. If you get married, you're not, oh, now I'm fulfilled. If you have sex, you're not completely fulfilled. If you're single, it's, you're not the bee's knees. You can choose. Because it's actually not about now. It's not about now. This is just temporary. There's a future reality that is eternal, forever. This is just a foretaste. Let's look at what Jesus says in, in Mark chapter 10 and verse 29 and 30. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now, this time houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, etc. in the age to come, in eternal life. Again, he's speaking about the temporary nature of what we have now. Remember, marriage is lifelong. It's not eternal. And we need to have that perspective because we can lose our focus, can't we? We can make something that is not the main thing the main thing. And our view on sex is very important in this. Because it's either something we obsess about in terms of seeking it, this, this, this hunger, this kind of, you know, or it's something that we, it's dirty. You don't go there. So as soon as it comes up, it's, oh, you know. But either way, it's this big thing that is taking too much of your time because you're forgetting the main thing. Sex is good. Marriage is good. Singleness is good. But it's not ultimate. We will have a family for all eternity. Look around. That's your family. But not only in eternity. It starts now. We are family. So whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you've had sex, whether you haven't, whether you've had sex out of marriage, in marriage, this is all temporary. There's an eternal reality. There's an eternal family. And so often in conservative society, um, we make so much of, of family. Now, family is important, and that's biblical. But it's not ultimate. And sometimes we make it that, don't we? We make an idol of our family when actually God has provided. Whether we have family or not, we make an idol out of it. But God has provided us with an eternal family. Let's have that perspective. But it's not just that. It's also the one. We're seeking the one who will fulfill us. Oh, man. You see it on friends all the time. Oh, sex this, sex that. Oh, can't wait. 
You know, it's all about that. But actually, again, if you get a, a marriage partner, great. It's wonderful. We heard how, how, how wonderful it is from Reagan and my time. But it's not ultimate. In other words, if you don't, it's fine. You can live a completely fulfilled life without being married, without having sex. Because our ultimate lover, and this is biblical, this sounds, <gasps> what? Our ultimate lover, our ultimate love is Jesus. He is the one who can fulfill us. He is the one who does fulfill us. And it's only when you've been fulfilled by Jesus that you can live a truly fulfilled life. You can have a fulfilled marriage. You can have a fulfilled sex life. Or you can be fulfilled completely as a single for the rest of your life. But it's Jesus who fulfills us, not sex, not our families, not our spouse. And that we need, we need to find that. I know, I remember, I've, 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 I've sat where you are and people have told me I need to be fulfilled by Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, what does that mean? I would encourage you, if you're in a life group, talk about this. Talk about this. Go there. If you're not in a life group, join a life group. Speak to our elders about this. I don't get, what does that mean? No, hang on. My ma I'm fulfilled in my marriage. Like, I, you know, how does that work that you're fulfilled by Jesus? Speak to the elders. Speak to your leaders. I really encourage you to get this right. Because if we don't, there is a distortion of how it's meant to be.